Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Welcome to Growing in Grace. I want to share with you a parable that is found in the Gospel of Luke. Now, there's actually uh, quite a few parables that are found in Luke. I think uh, perhaps somewhere in the neighborhood of 29 of them, uh, 24 of them are actually in what they call a travel narrative or travel log. And the one that we're going to look at from Luke chapter 14 is actually in that uh, travel log. And so from chapter 9, verse 51 to chapter 19, verse 27, Jesus was on the move. He is moving uh, in our world today as well. But uh, this parable we're going to look at is uh, called the parable of the great banquet. It's similar to another parable that Matthew wrote uh, called the parable of the wedding feast, but it's a little different. There are some different components in those two parables but I want us to focus on this one and think about salvation and what it means uh, to be saved and also uh, look at what it says here in this passage about the context in which Jesus gave the parable. You know, if you think about the context and you read just, just before a certain passage, you can really learn a lot of why uh, Jesus or Paul or Peter or John, why they said what they said. So uh, I hope that this will be a blessing to you. But it has to do with uh, eating out, eating out with Jesus. Uh, actually, they were eating in. There was a Pharisee that invited Jesus over. If you were to look in chapter 14 of Luke, verse 1, it says, One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, uh, they were watching him carefully. So they definitely had their eye on him. And uh, while he was there, he uh, healed a man. Of course, these uh, Pharisees were uh, rule enforcers, and they didn't like that very much, that he would heal someone on the Sabbath. Uh, but he pressed on and uh, talked to them a lot about meals and invitations to banquets and all of this sort of thing. And there's so much we can learn. But I thought it was interesting how the context that you need to keep in mind is that this is in the home of a Pharisee. Uh, three times in the Gospel of Luke, Pharisees invited Jesus over. I don't think it was the same Pharisee, but in chapter 7, verse 36, chapter 11, verse 37, and now in chapter 14 and verse 1, he's having lunch after the worship service in a synagogue. And so uh, let's see what he says. It begins in verse 15 of Luke 14. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come. For everything is now ready. 
But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, go on to the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So let's look at this passage together and think about salvation and think about sometimes I believe there are people who assume, like this man here at the in this uh, Pharisee's house, who says, all of a sudden he just says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. You see, these were men who were rejecting Jesus. They actually, it says, had their eye on him and they wanted to make sure that uh, he, he was going to keep their rules and so forth. So they weren't people who were trusting in Jesus. They were people who were rejecting Jesus. But yet he assumes, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there someday in that great uh, banquet in the sky. And so it's not that what he said about the kingdom was wrong. No, what he said was right, that people will be blessed who are there eating bread in the kingdom of God someday in heaven. They will be blessed. That's true. I mean, Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9, Isaiah looked way out into the future, even beyond us, and he saw a time when there would be a feast for people of all races, all tribes, all nationalities. He saw that at the feast, there would have the finest foods. There would be the best security. They would wipe away all tears. There would be no need for fighting or violence. None of that will be there that day. And of course, there will be lots of rejoicing because the Lord will be there. So what he said is true. If you're there, it's going to be a blessing. But it's who he assumed would be there. That's the problem. And that's going to be the platform. That's the bridge over which we're going to travel into more on this uh, interesting parable that Jesus taught about the great banquet. But you see, this man assumes he's going to be there. I wonder if sometimes people assume, well, if I'm an American, well, if I've always gone to church, well, my mom and dad, they're Christians, and we assume I'm in just because of where I live or where I am at the moment. But I want you to really listen to some of the things that Jesus said to that man, because it may be he's going to speak to our hearts today as well. So let me move to the second thing. We saw the assumption about salvation, but let me just point out verse 16. I love this part because really salvation is a joyous occasion. 
It's something wonderful that takes place in the heart of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that puts their faith and trust in Jesus. And so what I want you to see is the celebration behind salvation. You see, Jesus chose a metaphor to represent what is it like when someone is saved, when someone becomes a Christian, when someone enters God's family. What's it like? What will heaven be like when we're all there together? Well, he compares it here to a great supper. And so what he says is a certain man gave a great supper. And so in the parable, he's referring to God giving a great supper. You know, there's two words here. I I can't go over these too fast, too quickly. Celebration. Celebration behind salvation. Why are we saying it is such a celebration? Well, these two words, the word give and the word great. You see, it says he gave a great supper. These people didn't have to pay $1,000 each to attend this supper. Oh, no. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, salvation is a gift, a gift that God's offering to us. All we have to do is receive the gift. The gift is Christ himself. Salvation in Christ, it is a great gift that heaven is offering to us. But I also like the word great because it says a certain man gave a great supper. Let me tell you, it's going to be great at that supper in heaven whenever we're all there together with the Lord. It's going to be great. And I'll tell you why it's going to be great. It's going to be great because the Lord will be there. It's going to be great because it's going to be so much joy and gladness. It's going to be great because there'll be incredible unity that we've never seen before in our lives. It'll be great because there's no more death. There are no more tears. Listen, it's just going to be phenomenal. And so what I want you to see is what Jesus is trying to do to clarify salvation. I think sometimes people assume, well, if I become a Christian, I'm going to lose all the joy in life. I mean, then it's going to be boring from then on out. No, friend. No, it's the opposite. If you choose to follow Christ, if you choose to trust him, there's going to be so much joy that will enter your soul way down deep and your future, rather than having worries and fears about the future, concerns, no, it's going to be hope for your future. So that's what I wanted to point out from this verse 16 is the celebration behind salvation. But next, I want you to notice the invitation to salvation. Wow, if there's one word that is mentioned over and over again, In this chapter, it's the word invite or the word invitation. Do you know that in Luke chapter 14, the word invite or invitation is mentioned 12 times? It's the key word. It's what this chapter is all about. And so here we have God inviting us when he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, then whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In this verse 16, it says, this man invited many. You see, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, they were chosen by God. He wanted them to be a light 
to all the nations. But what happened is they sort of grew inward. They did not reach out. And they also began to reject Jesus as the Messiah that the Father had sent. And so what the Lord wanted to happen did not happen with them. And so we're going to see that as it plays out more in this parable as well. But for now, what I want you to know is invitation that God invites us. He really does want us to be in his family. He wants us to be in heaven. But let's go to the next point. We've looked at the assumption about salvation, the celebration behind salvation, and the invitation to salvation. But now I want you to notice the preparation of salvation. There's something that the master says whenever the servant comes. He sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. Wow. What he's saying is we've already prepared the meal. You don't have to bring a thing. You know, just come. All we want you to do is come. We've already done everything. In the ancient world, they had two types of invitations. The first one was, you and your family are welcome to attend. The second one that was sent out was whenever the meal was actually ready for them to to attend. And so, you know, they didn't have clocks. They didn't have cell phones and all these kind of events like this. So what they would do is they'll say, we will tell you when it's ready. And so it was ready. And that's exactly the way it is with salvation. Do you know that Jesus already paid the way for you to be in heaven with God? For He paid the way. It's by grace that we are saved. It's not by our works. That's what Titus 3, 5 says. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. And so no wonder Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, we're not redeemed by silver or gold, but we're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's just a great honor to be invited to uh, this great banquet. But here's the thing. Despite how glorious heaven will be, despite how generous God is just to invite us to his house, and despite how gracious he is to prepare all of this so that it's all ready, the reality is many, even today, just like these Jews, just like the Pharisee who brought this up, many reject his offer to salvation. And so what we deal with in verses 18 and 19 and 20 is the rejection of salvation. It's a sad reality, but it it happens. What we find here are three excuses. It says, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. Isn't that strange to buy some property, real estate, without even having ever seen it? So it's sort of like there's something insincere here about this man, but at least he says, I ask you to have me excused. The second man also asked for permission to be excused, but he had a different reason. He said, well, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. Is that right? So you mean, would you go and buy a car without test driving it? Back then, I'm sure they would have tested the oxen to make sure they were strong and healthy and so forth. 
So this also kind of seems a little suspicious. But then you get down to the third man. He's no longer even asking permission. The third man says, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Why could you and your wife not come? What He doesn't give any reasoning there. So anyway, John MacArthur says in this passage about these three excuses and about excuses that are still given today, he says, you know, God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are to be saved. And so I just thought, oh, Lord, help us not neglect when we are offered this incredible opportunity for heaven, for eternal life, for forgiveness of our sins. But yet some do. So all I would ask of you as a friend of Growing in Grace is don't reject his incredible invitation to salvation. But once they go back and they tell the master what what the responses were, there's a declaration regarding salvation. He says, so that the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. Wow. What an incredible thing he's saying. You know what? I have the banquet ready. The food's already been prepared and we don't have many people coming. So he didn't accept these excuses. And he said, you know what I think? I'm just going to go ahead and extend the invitation to others. And so the poor would probably could, they could have said, you know what? I don't have anything decent to wear to a banquet. The maimed could have said, well, if I go, then usually when I'm out in public, people stare at me. The lame could have said, well, there's nobody to take me there and I can't walk there, of course. The blind could have said, well, I can't find the way there. But did any of those reject the invitation? We're not told that they did. So all of those were so hungry and so desperate. They were glad to be invited to a banquet where there was delicious food. But the servant faithfully declared the message to those willing to listen. But notice two more critical concerns. The servant said, Master, it's done as you commanded. And still there's room. We still have enough places at the table for more people. And then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You see, the emergency was there's still more room, but the urgency was you're going to have to compel them to come in because the time is running out. Well, if you think about it, it would have been easy to have declined that invitation because those that are out there in the highways, well, maybe they could say, you know what, that's so far away. Those that were in the hedges could have said, I don't think we would be welcomed. I mean, we're from the bush. We're the hillbillies. So they could have said, we're too ragged. The people there are not going to be like us. But you know what? I believe they came. People who realize they have a need, they're going to come because they're simply hungry. I remember one time, taking some Japanese friends of mine on a mission trip to Calcutta, India, and being surrounded by people who were hungry. It was actually frightening and scary. But I thought to myself later, why were those people closing in on us in a circle like that? 
And then it hit me because they're desperate because they don't have anything to eat. They were the poorest of the poor living on the streets of Calcutta, India. You know, spiritually, all of us are like that. If we could only know how desperate we are without Christ for salvation, we would be so glad to hear the declaration that we too would be welcome at the Lord's table. But I just wanted to wrap it up where this parable wraps it up. You see, Jesus finishes with verse 24, and he says these words, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Wow. It may not be politically correct to say this, but this is the truth. There's a partition around salvation in Christ. Those who reject Christ, they're not going to be in heaven. And that's just the way the Lord said it is. And so he makes it clear to this man who says way back there at the very beginning, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He makes it clear when he now, rather than using the third person uh, pronoun, he starts using the first and the second person pronoun. You know, because before he was saying a certain man and all these people had been invited and the servant and so forth. It's all third person. But listen to the way he ends it. For I tell you, for I tell you, man, this is getting really up close and personal, isn't it? Where are you? What would the Lord say to you? Would he say that you're on the inside? Would he say that you've trusted him for salvation? Listen, the good news is that the last invitation in the Bible is recorded in Revelation 22, verse 17. Here's what it says. And the spirit and the bride, that means the church or Christians, say come. And let him who hears say come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. You see, the good news is the invitation for you in Christ, it's open today. The Lord wanted me to share this today with you. And so it's so exciting that I can tell you, don't reject this glorious and gracious offer for you to come into this banquet that is in heaven someday. I want you to be there. I want to sit by you. I want you to be there to enjoy uh, the Lord's presence and to enjoy salvation in Christ, to have eternity uh, in heaven. It's available. Jesus paid the price for us to be there. So I'm just going to ask you, why don't during these closing moments that I, when I lead us in the prayer, you can pray right where you are. Remember where Jesus was? He was on the road whenever he was telling these parables. It's in the travel log, remember? Well, it could be you're on the road. You're traveling. You don't have to close your eyes to uh, say this prayer, and you don't have to even pull over to say this prayer. But perhaps you're on a treadmill in a gym, or maybe you're sitting in your home. I don't know where you are. I don't know the roads that you've taken and traveled in your life. But all, all I wanted you to know is there's a God in heaven who wanted you to be in heaven with him 
so badly that he sent his son. He gave his son and he said, all you have to do is trust him. All you have to do is follow him, receive him. And he is your way in to uh, heaven. He is your way to have all your sins forgiven and cleansed. He is your way to find joy that is incredible, joy unspeakable. He is your way to find peace and hope and all the good things in life. Listen, it's all grace. If you'll just simply say yes to Jesus Christ. So let me close our time together today from Luke uh, 14, as we're thinking about this man and all that Jesus said to him about salvation. You've heard what Jesus said, and we've uh, tried to apply it as best we can. So now it's time for us to close in prayer. Why don't you pray along with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these friends who listen to the podcast today of Growing in Grace. Some may be listening by radio. Others may be listening uh, on their computers or on an iPhone or something like that, some other device. But wherever they are and whoever they are, I know that you died on the cross for every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And so, Lord, I pray that you would let them know that um, the Bible says all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We're not going to make it. Uh, based on our own good works. We'll never be able to, to be in heaven someday just because we've tried our very best to be a good person. We need more than that. We need the perfect atonement of Jesus Christ. We need the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price so that we could attend that banquet, so that we could enter into God's family. And so, Lord, help my friends today that have not yet trusted Christ to, to confess their sins and to place their faith only in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Thank you so much, Jesus, for leaving the throne room of heaven, for leaving the glories of heaven and coming down here to this broken world to save people like me, people like my friends. Lord, we just need you. You're our hope. You're our salvation. There's salvation in no one else other than Christ. And so I just pray that today they would turn from sin in repentance and turn to Christ in faith, just simply going to you and saying, Lord, remember me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to trust you for salvation. I want to follow you until my very last breath. So thank you so much for this time we've shared together. Seal the message that we've heard today. May we never forget these words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, I'm so glad you were with us today. Hope you have a great day today. Pray that God will bless you. And I certainly know he blessed you today if you uh, prayed along with me and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All right, friend. Hope to see you next time. God bless. Bye-bye. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.